I am doing, I suppose you might call it, a short series on the work of the Holy Spirit as that work is described for us in the first, third, and fifth chapters of Paul's letter to Ephesus. You'll notice that the text at verse 14, uh, by the way, I want to thank the young people and their leaders who were here last night serving a very good dinner. Uh, Some folks that had planned to come couldn't make it and maybe others weren't available, but I'd just like to thank them, uh, the, the youth and the adult leaders, and encourage you, if you couldn't make it last night, to try to make it the next time around it was a real blessing to be together and a very good dinner. Um, I was looking in old notes. I preached this passage almost to the day 14 years ago in this congregation. Now one thing I'm fairly certain of is that the few of you that might have been here that, that time on February 8th of 2009 except for Rob Amsler, won't remember a word of what I said. (laughs) Rob, no doubt, will be able to quote something I said, and I'll go away scratching my head thinking, I don't think I said that. He must be remembering somebody much brighter than me. (laughs) But here's the thing, folks. I've studied the passage more since then, and I've learned some new things which I am excited to share with you today. Hear the word of God as it begins in verse 14 of Ephesians 3. Paul wrote, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom... Every family is the ESV translation. I'm not sure that's the best, but I'm no Greek scholar. Uh, All fatherdom. It's not even an English word, but that's the sense here. Uh, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Some of you have studied pretty advanced mathematics. I studied some of that too at one point. Some of you have studied at least one other and maybe a number of other languages. Yeah, we lived in Mexico for a few years, so I studied some Spanish. You know what I've noticed about my Spanish? 
it has declined in the seven and a half years since we moved back from Mexico. You may find the same thing with either language or the math, the advanced math that you once knew. If you're not using it, you're probably not keeping it. Why am I talking about rockets and languages and math? This is very important, folks. Catch this point, and you will be able to track the rest of the sermon. This passage teaches that there are degrees or stages of knowing the love of Christ. Unlike rockets, and maybe a little like math or languages, one can pass from the early stage to another and maybe slip back to that earlier stage and not advance the way Paul's prayer suggests that all of us as God's people could advance. Why am I talking about stages or degrees or levels of knowing or having knowledge of the love of Christ? Well, think about it for a moment. Here's a, Paul, a prayer that Paul records, and obviously that he prayed. But who is he writing to? They're folks that already knew the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They knew something of the love of Christ. You can go back to chapters 1 and 2. I'm not going to go through the details, but, but you look back and you'll find that God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. That's chapter 2, verse 4, roughly speaking. Paul's writing to people who knew that entrance into the family of God through faith and therefore knew the love of the Savior. But look at the prayer. He's not praying simply that they'd remember the love that they came to know when they became followers of Jesus through repentance and faith, he's writing about something more. That the Father, according to the riches of his glory, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love I'm suggesting to you this morning that that's a depth of understanding of the love of the Lord Jesus that goes beyond what the Ephesian believers had as they first came to confess Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, I hope the message you get this morning, and I'll say it a couple of times, is that this is a prayer 
we should imitate. We have the privilege of calling on God to do these marvelous things out of the riches of His grace and glory by the work of His Holy Spirit in us so that we move beyond, as good as it is, an elementary understanding of the love of Jesus that comes with the knowledge of His sacrifice on the cross and His willingness to substitute Himself for sinners and bear the burden of our sin. That's wonderful. But Paul's talking about moving on not away from that conviction and that understanding, but to a richer grasp of it. He wants us, he wants the, wanted the Ephesian believers to be rooted and grounded in love, Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. Rooted and grounded, it's a double image in the original language. Think trees and buildings here, folks. You're rooted. We spent some time in Florida recently, and I saw trees that I'd never seen in this part of the country. It's a kind of oak. Uh, What was it called? Live oak. Like we have dead ones here. I don't know. (laughs) A live oak, many of them were at least this large around. And they'd go up 10 or 12 feet. And you think, well, that's not much of a tree. And then they'd make a left turn or a right turn. And there's this gigantic section, segment of tree that continues to grow out almost sideways. All the pictures you've seen of Spanish moss, a lot of it's on live oaks. And these gigantic trees... They weigh tons and tons and tons. And the roots in the ground are not just supporting something that's growing straight up. They're supporting something that's going sideways for 40 feet. Wow. That's what the apostle wanted for the Ephesians. I don't know that he knew anything about live oaks, although he probably knew as much as I do. But he's praying for them that they, by God's work through His Holy Spirit in their hearts, would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted like a tree with those powerful roots that supports it. Grounded like a building on a solid foundation of rock. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you might be rooted and grounded in love. Now you're thinking... The Bible says Christ is always with us. Uh, Yes, that's true, folks. But we're not always with Him. For you notice that it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now here's what all of us at some point or other experience. Difficulties arise in life disappointments. We sin. We're sinned against. The world's a mess. It's fallen. 
And all these things pile up, and we begin to fret or be troubled or be burdened. And instead of simply having those emotional experiences and looking to God in faith that he will take care of us and provide and meet our needs and work it out for his own glory and our good, we don't. We don't look to Christ in faith. Many times we don't even bother to pray about things that trouble us. Or if we do, it's a prayer that's arising more out of unbelief than faith. We know we ought to say the words, but there's not much to it. I know I should pray about this, but... I see some of you nodding. Maybe more of you should be nodding. (laughs) Because, in fact, those are the struggles that we have. Instead of seeing that work of the Holy Spirit in us, that we might be established more fully in Christ, rooted and grounded, we try to limp along on that basic conviction that God loves us, but I'm not sure he's doing a very good job of it right now. You know, there's a passage in the New Testament that I think illustrates that kind of situation. It may be the most misused quotation in the entire Bible. It's the end of Revelation chapter 3. It's the letter to the church in Laodicea. And in verse 20, we find these words. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens to me, I will enter and feast or eat with him and he with me. How's that verse misused? I'm not sure I have heard used more than once or twice the right way because it's often used as if it's addressed to people who aren't Christians. Well, guess what? The church in Laodicea was a church. There were believing people there. And we have this picture of Jesus standing at the door. And I'm sure you've seen the famous paintings. You know, he's, he's there knocking and nobody cares and so on. But it's not non-believers it's addressed to. It's the church. And it's not just Laodicea. Because if you read the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, you'll find that every one of them says, this is written to the churches. He who has ears, let him hear. Every one of them. So Laodicea has to do with situations that we find in the church today. Jesus is there. Now you're thinking, well, he's sovereign, so he'll take care of that. Now, let's not turn sovereignty into an excuse for irresponsibility on our parts. Because what, Peter, what Paul says here in Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when you run into troubles, when I run into troubles, and believe me, I do too, just like you. When we run into troubles, what we need to do 
is exercise faith in our Savior in the midst of those troubles so that by the work of the Holy Spirit and the rich grace of God, we will then be rooted and grounded in love. That, I think, is stage two of the three-stage rocket of knowing the love of Christ. The first stage is we understand the Savior loves me. I trust Him. I have no other hope except Him. But then as I run into the trials and difficulties of life, I learn to trust Him day by day in the circumstances, knowing that He loves me and that He is at work in these circumstances so that then I become rooted and grounded in love. I'm established in it so that Christ dwells in my heart. By the way, the word there has to do with permanent dwelling. It's not that He leaves us. It's that we wander away from Him. He is the permanent dweller with His people. But sometimes He's standing at the door knocking and we're too busy trusting other things or giving in to fear and doubt and worry. So stage two, we learn to trust the Savior and His great love in the midst of the difficulties of life. I suspect that's where many of you are today. There are problems all around us. You don't have to go out of the local situation, but, but if you do, then you know 30,000 people in Turkey and Syria have died as a result of earthquakes within the last seven days. And the violence in Peru over the state of the government there is frightening. I know about that because I'm supposed to go to Peru sometime in the coming year, and I'm not so sure about going to Lima, okay? We'll just have to trust God with that when the time comes. But what I'm saying is, there are problems all around us, your own personal struggles, your family needs, your disappointments in relationships, your financial pressures, and on and on and on the list goes. And we need to learn to trust the Savior in the midst of those that's what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to respond to God's call to us. And the fact that God is sovereign doesn't eliminate our responsibility to live by faith. And when we do that, then we will be rooted and grounded in love as we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. Third stage. See, Kevin, I'm watching the clock this morning. <laughs> My dear brother likes to tease me sometimes, and I deserve it. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not known for watching the clock while I preach, okay? Those of you who were around 15 years ago know that very well. Third stage. There is a stage that can only come after this rooted and grounded stage. 
It involves an understanding of the multidimensional love of Christ. What exactly does that mean? I'm not sure I can tell you. It's love that reaches down into our circumstances, that touches our emotional response to things. It's not just an intellectual grasp of the fact that Jesus died on the cross and loves sinners and and so he loves me because I'm a sinner and I've trusted him. It goes beyond that. Somehow, God by his Spirit reaches into our inner beings so that we come to grasp the depth of the love of Christ in a way that is so utterly transformative. Maybe it's still possible to slip back to a prior stage, but I'm not sure about that. But to come to the place where we know the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, even to know that love. Wow. Well, if any of you are at that that point, you can come tell me about it afterwards. It's where we need to be, folks. And the fact that it may seem impossible or beyond the limits of this life in a fallen world I would urge you to remember what Paul writes at the very end of this chapter. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So let's not decide ahead of time that something's too difficult or the Spirit couldn't possibly do that for me because we have a God who can do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Thank you. I thought I heard an amen out there. (laughs) Thank you, sister. You know, the interesting thing is that it's oftentimes folks who have had the most serious difficulties in life that have learned to trust God in that way. And most of us are so busy trying to just make this life work that we lose sight of a better life to come and the presence of a God who is immensely powerful in our midst now. There's a fourth level here, but it's not a separate stage. It's the result of the third stage. I'm going to be talking about it, the Lord willing, next Sunday morning. It's a result that we must not ignore. Right at the end of verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll look at the text where Paul writes the command, be filled with the Spirit. And that's tied to this chapter. So we'll look at that more closely then. Okay, three stages. The basic stage of of, uh, coming to understand the love of Christ because you've come to the Savior. It's a wonderful stage. 
as I suggested to the kids, and maybe it didn't catch, but sometimes someone at that stage takes off like a rocket, and then it sort of falters. There's that initial delight and enthusiasm that then kind of wanes. And this text is telling us you can move to the next step. You can exercise faith in your difficulties in the midst of them. You can grow to know the incredible dimensions of the love of Christ. Why do we need this? Why do we need this prayer? Four reasons. I'll try to make them clear to you because I think each one is important. We need this prayer because we tend to get stuck where we are. We think we've understood something. That's fine. It's great to know about the love of Christ. Now I've got a life to live. I've got problems. I've got to deal with those problems. Um, and what happens in our culture, and I think it happens in others as well, but I know ours a whole lot better, But I did see this in Mexico. I saw it among folks who were upwardly mobile in Mexico. Okay? What happens is we get stuck and we begin to feel disappointed. And then we start looking for more elsewhere. More what? More stuff. More comfort. More money more entertainment, more distractions. We're sure that we could get ourselves to feel better, and so we look for something to provide that for us. Now, there's nothing wrong with whatever you own, however you're using your money. I'm not here today to critique that. You may want to look at 1 Timothy 6 to see if it's needing critique, but, but I'm not here to do that today. What I'm here to say is that we need to recognize that our real need is for what only the Holy Spirit can give us. More of the knowledge of God, more of the knowledge of the love of Christ. And if we had those, many of the other things that get to us would be reduced in significance in our hearts. So, we tend to get stuck where we are. That's the first reason why we need this prayer. Second reason, we may go through life loaded with guilt over some failure of ours, and maybe it's a serious failure. Or we may even go back to trying to earn God's favor by working harder at being a Christian. I know it's a current thing to have... uh, Uh, Oh, I know it's there, but I can't remember the word. (laughs) To have some system, some some, uh, way of doing discipleship, that's fine. It can be fine. It's not necessarily fine. 
because many systems turn into systems of work that maybe our hearts aren't really in and we're actually trusting my diligence, our own diligence in doing the steps of our system and not really looking to Christ. You're living with a load of guilt, my friend. You're full of disappointment over some failure in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the love of Christ. Because there's nothing you've done that the blood of Christ can't cover. And there's nothing you've faced that the love of Christ can't see you through. What a great Savior he is. There's nothing like knowing him. And too often, that doesn't look to be the case in a local church. I hope it is here. We haven't been back long enough for me to be certain, but, but I do hear testimony of the grace of Christ at work. So, we tend to get stuck where we are. We may be loaded with guilt. If we don't grasp the wonders of the love of Christ, here's something else that happens. We won't learn to love him in return. Because we love because he first loved us. And the more deeply you know that the Savior loves you, the more deeply you will learn to love him in return. And what happens? What, why is our love for Christ so important? Because it's the source of our obedience. Otherwise, God's commands become a burden. And his commandments aren't burdensome, 1 John 3. They're not burdensome. They're a blessing. But if they're not done out of love for this Savior God who's brought us to be his own, then they become a burden. And we resent doing them. And we push ourselves to do them because we know we're supposed to. But there's no joy in it. So praying that you might know the love of Christ more deeply is central to your learning to love Christ more so that what you do for Him and His kingdom is a joy rather than a burden. Even the hard things that some of you are called to do in day-to-day -day life don't need to be a burden. They could be a joy out of obedience to the Savior who so loved you. Fourthly, why do we need this prayer? How attractive will our claims of the gospel be to a culture if what they see is a people who are going through the outward motions rather than a people who are a place where the living God dwells in their midst. 
Fantastic passage in Corinthians. You can find it for yourself. But Paul talks about unbelievers coming into the midst. And uh, it's one of those passages about tongues. And he says, if, if you're all speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're nuts. But if you're all teaching and pre, you're, if you're all sharing the truth, if you're all considering the great work of Christ and, and you're talking about it, and it's changing the way you live and the way you think about life, and non-believers come in and see that, and think, wow, God must be among them. So you see that if you actually grow more, grow deeper in the knowledge of the love of Christ, and it transforms the way the church operates, not just in an interior sense, but in the way we interact with the world and our concern for the world around us. Because we know the love of Christ more deeply, that leads to others knowing the love of Christ more deeply. That's a witness to the world around us that so often the local church fails to be. There's another step, but I'm running out of time here. And uh, we'll do this last step maybe during Sunday school. But the point of part three of the sermon is this. Where's all of this happen? And you see, as Americans, we tend to think very privately and individually. And that's wrong, okay? Where does this happen? Well, Paul says, he talks about the family and about the, uh, the brothers and sisters. It's, it's in the midst of our interaction with others of God's people that these things take place. Now, they can happen privately. They certainly, we can pray this prayer privately. I've been praying it for you folks for weeks. But it's the body operating as it's called to operate. Where this magnificent work of the Holy Spirit teaching His people to know the love of the Savior and growing deeper and deeper in the knowledge of that love. That's where Paul intends for this to happen. Well, we'll look at more details of that maybe in a little bit. Let's pray together. Father, please help us. I can preach a sermon and these folks can hear a sermon. And two days later, we don't even remember what the text was. It can slip away from us so easily. So Holy Spirit, please write these these truths on our hearts and minds. Please help us to remember to ask your help that we would know the love of Christ more deeply. You've done good work here, Lord Jesus, but we're asking that it might go further. To whatever degree it may be true that you stand at the door knocking in this place, change us.
make us long to welcome you in so that we might be rooted and grounded in your love. Accomplish these great things for your own great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.